Who are you? Really? Really? I am the guardian of forever. What's a guardian of forever? Why haven't we heard of you? I'm in hiding. I'm a space-time portal, you might say. You know, back in the day, it used to be, sure, come on through. Just don't screw up history or you'll have to fix it. And then the temporal wars happened and everyone was killing everyone else and trying to use me to do it. <sighs> Wasn't pretty. But here I am, officially elsewhere, nowhere near my original coordinates. Only an intelligence with over 100,000 years of history and access to current Federation databases could possibly extrapolate your location. Welcome to Strange New Takes. I'm your host, Notch Garnick, and with me on a new unnamed planet are... Bill Boywad. Emily Bowen-Marler. And Rudy Kuzbaker. So Strange New Takes is a Star trek theme podcast that's supposed to be covering Strange New Worlds, uh, but with so much Trek already, we decided to jump in early. We covered Lower Decks. Uh, we are in with Discovery and looking forward to talking about um, the episode today. All right. And yeah, we're really excited to bring you our strange new takes for the latest episode of Star Trek Discovery, Terra Firma Part 2. But before we get there, we want to encourage you to follow us on social media at Strange New Takes on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. And make sure to tell your friends also to listen to us because we super love getting strange new listeners from all over the world. And your recommendations are actually the best way to introduce new people to our podcast. So please do that. Also, don't forget to give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Uh, your ratings are what helps us appear higher in search lists when someone heads to a podcast provider that mirrors, most of the podcast providers mirror the iTunes list. So when someone searches for Star Trek on those, your ratings help us appear higher. And if you give us a five-star rating, I will read it on the podcast. And just a heads up, this podcast and literally all of our podcasts include spoilers for this episode, but we will not include spoilers for The Mandalorian. Um, but it may also include spoilers for other episodes of Star Trek. Um, so if you haven't had a chance to watch all of Star Trek, all 798 episodes of Star Trek and Terra from a part two, and you don't want to be spoiled, you might just want to go ahead and spend some hours watching all of those and then come back and listen to us. So again, this week, it's Terra Firma Part 2, the 10th episode of the third season of Discovery, written by Boyan Kim, Eric Lippolt, Alan McElroy. Uh, the teleplay was by Kalinda Vasquez, and it was directed by Chloe Demont. And here's a summary from Memory Alpha. Giorgio uncovers the true depths of the plot against her, leading her to a revelation about how deeply her time on USS Discovery has truly changed her. So your strange new takes on that. Um, all right. So so my my strange, strange new take 
uh, is, well, just a strange factoid. The word facetiously includes every vowel in the English alphabet, including Y, in order. <clears throat> Bloody oh, hell. Um, yeah, now you got to think about it, right? But it's true. Um, and let's see, for this episode, um, I don't know. It was. I just thought it was a great character piece. Um, I actually cared about Giorgio and their relationship, which is sometimes sometimes they go for that kind of reaction and discovery and fail. But uh, you know, this it, it drew me in. I I got into it. Mm. I think I can compare with your general strange new take. It's a, a new top strange new take for me, but. Uh... If any of you tried to take photos of meteors, um, I will let you know it's not easy. Uh, <laughs> I spent three hours trying to do this with long exposure shots, and I think I luckily got one out of like 50 plus photos. Um, so, but it was worth it. Um, strange new take for this episode. Um, Jojo was one of my favorite characters in Discovery. Um, they have ushered her out in an albeit nice way. So really, really sad in a way and also excited to see where it takes her next and does give her an avenue. Um, so we'll get into that a little bit later. My strange new take, it's maybe not strange and new today, but something happened while I was sitting back here getting ready for this podcast. Um, when you have a kid, it makes your dog dog do such naughty things that they probably wouldn't have tried to do before but oh, good lord <laughs> so, my dog's been very naughty while i was back here but um and my strange new take for the episode is um this episode did exactly what it needed to do because i wasn't too interested in a section 31 series and now i'm like oh fine i'll watch it so <laughs> Well, my strange new take might not be so strange if you've had a cat for a while, but whiskers <laughs> shed and regrow. So if you start finding whiskers around the house, don't be alarmed that maybe one of your cat oh. is pulling them off the other cat because that's not <laughs> what's happening. Uh, I don't think they have the like tactile thumbs either to do that sort of thing. But still, <laughs> anyway, uh, on the episode, I wonder where Giorgio is going to step out of. Like, is it going to be on the unnamed planet where the Guardian of the City of Edge of Forever is and then gets picked up by, like, Kirk and Spock? Is she going to get a uh, step out onto the USS Enterprise D and be in the TNG era? Is she going to be in the Kelvinverse? And so I'm just I'm just curious. And I, I'm, I got to say, I'm personally, and I'm just, this surprised me, I'm hoping it's not back in Discovery's time. I hope that we get to explore a different time period with her and i think i mentioned in the last episode how it would be kind of nice to have this like one lady roving problem solving team who goes from ship to ship so we get to see some like lore expansion uh you know she's she visits stations and planets and far far-fetched star uh far-flung starfleet outposts um that's what i'm personally hoping for and that, that's where my mind went as she stepped into the portal. I was ho half hoping we would get an end end scene where she's sitting on a throne with a sidekick. And then it would say like, new series coming December 2021. But that did not happen. Okay. 
so let's move to talking about this episode in depth. Uh, first stop, story and writing. And before we get to the plots, something I have to note, the opening credits were a little different. Did you like catch that? Mm-hmm. The blue color instead of the... It was like the negative, right? Essentially is kind of what they had. Yeah, yeah, it was upside down. I thought I felt embarrassed that I hadn't noticed it earlier. Um, but now I feel better that no one is showing it's upside down. Because <laughs> I had noticed the, the droids, the little parts, and I'd always seen them right side up. And then I was like, oh, wow, something wrong with me. <laughs> you know that if if there are people who have been given glasses that invert the image that their ocular nerve receives and that after a certain amount of time their nerve flips the image that they're seeing so they see upside down as right side up and right side up is upside down so uh, you know if they show this credit enough times and that is the only thing you watch for a month eventually it'll flip for you <laughs> You should try it's, that. It's like a grand metaphor for the mirror universe. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, have y'all, do y'all remember the other mirror universe intro changes? I think only Enterprise had them, right? I don't think the other shows changed their intros. I think it was just Enterprise. Yeah. yeah. And it was just like super militaristic. And, yeah. 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 Speaking of, I think we referred to Giorgio a few times as Hitler last episode. I think they literally had like a bunch of Nazi stuff in the Enterprise yeah. intro. So. <laughs> uh, well, anyway, speaking of Giorgio, the A plot in this episode, I, let me see if I can encapsulate the A and the B plot. The A plot is that Giorgio was in the mirror universe and everything that happens around her. And the B plot dealt with how Discovery deals with the existence of the Kieth. And those are the two that I picked out. Um, now, let's let's tackle that A plot first with Giorgio and, um, and how, how y'all thought... It was approached by the writers. Do you think it was... Did this go where you thought it was going to go last week? After last week's episode? Yeah, for me, it basically did, I think. Um, they kind of tee up, you know, everything with, with her trying to um, <clears throat> set Michael straight or whatever. And so we get to see that play out. <clears throat> and for me, the, you know, I think this episode and, and the part one really... Uh, investigate the mirror universe in a, a depth that hasn't been done before and usually it's just this kind of campy thing where the actors get to have a lot of fun and you know whatever um but here i think you really get some insight into like the tragedy that that it is to live in the mirror universe and what it must be like to be like kind of you know looking over your shoulder all the time and you know surrounded by violence and how um the the people in the mirror universe are actually suffering you know because of that so the, they do it justice from from that perspective for me it was interesting i was i liked the previous mirror universe episode because i thought it, it focused the plot uh, it converged as opposed to the uh, standard discovery plot which was diverging in so many side plots um but in terms of what happened this episode i honestly felt it was an anti-climax for me um i thought that i mean she was trying to do things right and obviously one of the goals was to redeem and rescue burnham and 
I, I guess I didn't understand the episode in that sense because all I had come out to me was um, a non-aligned screaming Burnham who is either screaming because she was in pain because she was being tortured or screaming because she's angry. Um, and then I, I think the episode was intending for us to get behind Jojo in reshaping Burnham and then coming to terms with that not being possible. But didn't really feel terrible about that Burnham going away. I didn't really understand. Well, this was this is one of the essential tragedies of the mirror universe is that they don't have other people who have survived and been changed, so they can't have like what you know they call a scared straight program in federal prisons in the United States, where they have ex cons come in and scream at juvenile uh, mm. people who are locked up. I believe if that had happened to Burnham, we might have seen a different outcome, but. Who knows? Anyway, we, we, we will not know. Emily, I'm curious. You were not here for our podcast last week. We didn't hear your stuff about the last episode. Uh, Adam seemed to imply that you had enjoyed it as much as he had. So I'm a little bit curious about your take about these two episodes put together. So I tend to not enjoy Mirror Universe episodes. I could live without them. I wasn't excited. The Mirror Universe became such a big part of Discovery in the first season. And so that's but kind of been, I, I must confess, I really loved, I liked Philippa Giorgio as she was presented in the pilot. And so bringing, and so it's like, oh yeah, Michelle Yeoh, she's also so awesome. But bringing her as back as Mirror Jojo is just like, I find the Mirror Universe characters to be pretty boring and one note and, you know, they're just evil and, you know, and they just do awful things to do awful things and they're backstabbing and I don't need to watch that. And so, um, but this one, because you have, um, for lack of a better word, uh, some humanity playing out beneath the surface within Giorgio, it just was more enjoyable to watch because it, it was less predictable. You didn't quite know how things were going to play out. Um, and I just thought they did, the, some of the strongest things they did with her character, I think, involved Saru. Um and, uh, and I think that showed the depth of the change in her more than any other thing, maybe that they had her do in those episodes. But, um, but you know, when I think about it, the, in the original series, the mirror universe episode, there was a character that started to see things differently. And there's the implication that the mirror universe could have been changed not within our view, right? But that spot could have really affected some change in the mirror universe. And this felt kind of like hearkening back to that original series episode. Um, and and it felt like that's what Giorgio was wanting to do. You know, like she was mm -hmm. trying to affect some change. And, and um, but I think, I don't know. I just, I thought, I just thought as far as mirror universes go, mirror universe episodes go i enjoyed this a lot more um i had some other thoughts but i think i'll save them for giorgio when we get to character development i have some more thoughts about that so okay i think sometime we'll maybe after discoveries over we're gonna do some thematic series of episodes and maybe we should tackle the mirror universe episodes together uh maybe we'll skip over the discovery ones but you know what i mean because <laughs> otherwise we watch the entirety of season one which <laughs> um but i i 
my memory of them does not include stuff that happened in the original series. And even the ones that I have watched from 90s Trek, it's been a while. Uh, the only Mirror Universe episode I've watched recently is Enterprise's uh, two-parter. So for me, I think if I had known that Spock had tried to make reforms in the Mirror Universe himself, I think I would have approached Giorgio's reforms a little differently uh, but as it happens i didn't see those so, so for me there was kind of this the whole episode i was sitting there being like this is gonna go one way and one way only and then lo and behold it actually ended up there i still that i think belies or that hides my appreciation for this episode i like this a lot more than the last episode i'll just spoil my rating just a little bit by saying that um and i think if I had to go back to what I was recording last week, I'd probably say some different things about that first episode based on what I've seen here. Because I think that the, with the the way that they handle the storyline in this one um, brought me to that satisfying ending I needed for it to all to make sense. But it's it's interesting, right? Because in Deep Space Nine, they treated the fact that Spock made reforms as the thing that brought down the Terran Empire. So again, we go back to what you were saying, Bill, about the essential tragedy of the mirror universe, that, he, that the people who try to make things better either end up in a bad way or things end up going wrong because of that. Which is why it's interesting then to consider how the Guardian of Forever at the end is like, well, you help one person, Saru, and Saru helped a lot of other people. And part of me was just expecting the Guardian of Forever to be like, oh yeah, and the Kelpians decided to genocide the entire galaxy when they were set free because it's the mirror universe and you can't do anything good there. So thanks uh, or something like that. But that's not what happened. Uh, my take on writing Star Trek is a little darker than maybe the writers of Discovery, which is good. Um one other thing that we thought we were going to get last week, we did not get, is Lorca. Uh, the gun that we saw in Act 1 was not fired in Act 3. So, I want to ask you about Chekhov's Lorca and what y'all thought about the treatment of Lorca in this episode. Oh, the only thing that stuck out to me was Burnham waited for him and he didn't show and she held out and I, I don't know if that was what drove her to change her tactics and sort of, you know, quote, unquote, coming across as giving up. But yeah, um, no Lorca. I never really counted on it and didn't show. Yeah, it was, it was a minor disappointment. I mean, I don't think it really mattered for the story that much. And I, I think the real explanation is that they that Jason Isaacs was busy filming something else or they couldn't get him or whatever. I'm sure I bet they would have taken him if they could have got him. But here's the question I have. So was Lorca not, did Lorca not show up because he was in the prime universe? Like that's when he left to go to the prime universe. And there were certain elements that they lifted up in the story that I feel Perhaps the ex execution, <laughs> not really the best word to use when the mirror universe is involved, but um, so they kept talking about Giorgio getting weak and that she was she was showing weakness. And that's why Lorca and Burnham were conspiring um, to off her. Right. Is because they could see this happening. But there were definitely things that they said that made me think that that weakness was because of what happened to her when she was in the prime universe and clearly those things did not happen 
before. So I felt like there was some wibbly wobbly timey wimey stuff going on that, um, like they tried to use her changes in the prime universe to explain why this coup for lack of a better word was being, um, plotted, but that shouldn't have been unless there was some other reason was Giorgio going soft before she had any experiences in the prime universe. And maybe their definition. So the way I read it for myself and my brain, my head canon, I guess is that Burnham and Lorca saw some benign things. Well, again, benign, perhaps not the best word for mirror universe stuff, unbenign, extreme murderous things that Giorgio had done. Maybe they saw as like, wow, she could have been more murderous and more, you know, like, Maybe there was even further. And I think naturally as a leader, you have to sometimes do things that piss off your subordinates, right? Like we've all done that. And maybe it's those things that it just... The, the problem is that with non-Hitler Giorgio now coming back, they 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 found even more manifestation of actual, quote-unquote, weakness uh, rather than just this kind of perceived sense and uh, so, so that that was my my way of kind of making it make sense. But you're absolutely right that yeah, it's uh, it'd be kind of interesting to see what that weakness might have been. Yeah, Emily, I th- I think you're totally right. I can't believe this didn't occur to me until you said it. But yeah, Lorca is on Discovery in season one, right? That's why it was it doesn't Duggan say like, oh, he's off making new friends or yeah, so something I felt cryptic like, the, like that. Yeah, for I sure. Felt- yeah. My dog is making very obnoxious sounds right now, so I apologize, but I didn't want to not talk because he's being obnoxious. So, um, but the, something else I found interesting though, so I'm thinking about Lorca in the prime universe. And now granted Lorca was in a different position than Giorgio was, but Lorca was much better at hiding his murderous instincts, especially as the series progressed. Like I thought he showed them pretty firmly in the first couple episodes of season one that he was in. But as the series, as the series or the season progressed, you kind of like, oh, maybe Lorca is not so bad, you know, because I always thought something was wrong with Lorca the first couple episodes. And then I was kind of like, oh, no, okay, maybe they're just showing a different kind of captain. And, you know, and then lo and behold, I was right in the first couple episodes that he was in. But um, Giorgio doesn't do anything to attempt to hide her murderous instincts. Like she just lets them all hang out in prime universe. Now she wasn't trying to, she wasn't necessarily trying to present herself as prime Giorgio. Um, Although there were people in the higher ups who were trying to present her as prime Giorgio, you know, like when, when she first, like not everyone knew that she was from the mirror universe um, when she first came on discovery um, so I just find that interesting too. Like, so what does that say about Lorca versus Giorgio? So Giorgio is weak because she doesn't hide her murderous impulses and Lorca is stronger because he can hide. I don't know. There just seem to be some confusing things happening when you take a look at the, you know, the overarching how mirror universe has been over the course of the whole season or the whole series. Yeah. I mean, Lorca was supposed to be, a prime universe, like kind of MacArthurian, one of those generals who did some stuff that was that blurred the lines between good and evil, um, to to get stuff done. Kind of, kind of the maybe the anti Picard, like where Picard blurs the lines but strays toward towards the good. MacArthur 
got stuff done, but sometimes the means and the attitude behind it weren't so pure. Um, and yeah, I, I think there is, there's again, I, I have to apply a little bit of uh, build the build directive here to try not to think too deeply because I think, especially when it comes to the mirror universe where, because they have been so comically portrayed in the past, I had to be like, okay, this complexity can exist over there. Not everyone has to be single dimensional. And it's interesting because then you see Burnham being exactly that single dimensional and being a, a kind of turncoat, just as you always thought she was going to be right from the beginning. Um, one quick note before we gotta we gotta jump onto the next thing is that there's a quote these when they're talking about the different races coming together to uh, run a rebellion against the the Terran Empire. Giorgio kind of dismisses it, saying those silly democratic things are always on the brink, easy to sabotage. And I just had like you know one of those like you know you gotta take a picture of me and the the subtitle on it is uh, in asterisk nervous laughter. And yeah. you know, one of those like, ah, oh, they 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 really wrote this a year a year ago. Uh, interesting. Okay. Well. Hmm. All right. What more do you know, Nostradamus? <laughs> yeah. uh, oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, uh, the B plot was Siru and Prime Discovery continuing to investigate the Kieth. The discussion with Vance that came later, Book's involvement, Jet Reno comes back and is actually, the, the writing refers to that. So Stab, it's like, where have you been? <laughs> I love that. Do uh, you do you listen to the pod directive? Because they kind of talk about that. Um, she doesn't, like, she's made some comment, Tignataro made some comment, like, she's like, I'm on the show exactly as much as I'm able to be on the show. Like, I don't want to be on it every episode. I want her to be on it every episode, but she's like, I can't be on it every episode. That's not how my schedule works, you know? So I'm on it exactly the amount I want to be on it, but I'm having fun and it's great. So I, I did laugh out loud at that moment. Because, that was great. Yeah. <laughs> so, so what'd you, what'd you all think about the way that the, it was portrayed um, in, in, in this episode, this, the B plot? I mean, I thought it was fine. It was it was pretty limited, right? I mean, I think there are two things that occurred. One is that as as uh, <clears throat> kind of foreshadowed last time, Book gets a chance to prove himself. Okay, fine. That was good, I guess. Um, and then what else? Oh, and I think that I think the relationship between Saru and uh, Admiral Vance is developing more. So now you see. Um, Saru kind of take a little bit more agency and be a little bit more assertive. Um, whereas before he was trying to kind of like telegraph what Admiral Vance would say and then just do, and then just do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and now he's kind of asserting his own judgment a little bit more. Because <clears throat> that was your question last week is like, why didn't he reveal the existence of the Kieth right away? And the explanation, I, if I'm remembering correctly in this episode, is we would have thought you would want us to do our due diligence before we came to you with some half-baked stuff, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's still confusing to me. I mean, I think Saru is like hiding something or at least something emotional, right? But I, it's kind of hard to tell what's going on there. Is it what Vance calls out, where Vance said that what... He, what did he say? He just said something like, "What? Well, here's what I think. It's that you found a group of Kelpians and you wanted to 
try your best to save them. Some, I can't remember exactly what that what he says. Yeah, uh, and then Saru says definitely not, and I was like, oh, Saru lied. Right. <laughs> Congressman Joe Wilson jumped in there. You lie. Okay. okay. <laughs> I've been sorry. I've been reading a promised land. Okay. It's, it, he writes about that happening anyway. Uh, also, Joe Wilson, I think, got COVID or something recently. Something he was in the news again. Anyway, this is not a podcast about Congress. Let's go back to Discovery. Yeah, it's. I think one of the things that uh, that confuses me about where the writers are going is this Vance becoming a skeptical kind of not trusting his captain character again in this episode, kind of becoming a little bit more bad morally almost. And then Giorgio telling Burnham in her farewell that you should be captain. And, you know, she, she says, she kind of makes up for it by saying, I think Saru is also capable or something like that, but like that you should, you should be leading. And so it, it makes me wonder if there's some sort of weakness being introduced to Saru's leadership or, or is it, cause I really don't want that. I think Saru being captain is amazing. Uh, and, but those two things in my head just kind of, I, I walked away thinking, hmm, where are we going with this? If they if they demote Saru and make Michael captain, I'm in a riot. <clears throat> won't won't stand for it. Okay. Well, yeah, I was just gonna say that uh, I think it's just it's as simple as developing. To me, it should be as simple as developing a plot where Saru trying to be protective and or has something to hide and Vance remains as being logically um, you know inquisitive about what's going on because he kind of thought that Saru should give him that background um, but it, 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 I, I hope they're just trying to develop Saru and the Kelpians some more but isn't it it's I feel like it's confusing the it character is. of Vance too though. Because I don't know, did y'all start to think maybe Vance is not so good after all in this episode? There were definitely vibes I was getting where I was like and I feel like he's not always straightforward with them about what he wants or he changes his mind. And so Saru's trying to do what he thinks Vance is expecting of him, and then all of a sudden Vance changes the parameters or changes you know anyway or changes his expectations and so it's kind of setting Saru up to make more mistakes or not and he's not even making mistakes like but it's just he's feeling like he is because Vance is changing the rules again I don't know that's kind of how it felt yeah I'm confused what the Giorgio state was like okay you've established a captain you've established a new first officer you've established somebody as a person who is, um, you know, a little more free and moving around in, in this new universe, right? In this futuristic universe. And, and Book is her companion. But lo, now Book is becoming more aligned with the Starfleet way of things, trying to help around. And Burnham's coming back in some way. I don't know where. First officer, captain, who knows. And also Vance is now being suspicious. So everything's kind of thrown off a yeah, I, I, I think, Emily, you, you hit the nail on the head for me, which is that I just 
my my I wish we had a little bit more nuance to Vance in this episode. He was kind of coming across a little bit as the antagonist in that final scene or the the penultimate scene and I I could have used a little bit more exposition to put him where we saw Vance I think it was the second or the third episode where he had to yeah. like take a very antagonistic stuff oh this is the first episode he showed up where he was antagonistic but you understood like you got it right. like you, his yes. motivations were clear whereas in this episode sometimes i was like where what, what is motivating him to be so um kind of uh i need a different ad- adjective bad morally is not a good one uh, right, that <laughs> suspicious word. well and it it has me worried that the ultimate reveal is going to be that the federation isn't as good as discovery thinks it is and i am just not here for that i am not (laughs) here for them turning this into a ha ha the federation's evil and that's why everyone's left it because the good guys are never really the good guys they're always evil because that's the way it is in real life and f that i'm sick of that so i I don't i don't (laughs) i i I feel like we'd have more hints of that if that's where they wanted to go although again i mean given what happened in the first season with like the mirror universe and everything maybe things don't really matter what we've been given hints of early on <laughs> anyway well at, at that point why don't we take a break uh we'll come back with expansion of the world of track trivia and character development stuff uh stay tuned stop stealing my power supply i haven't seen you since the dawn of time where the hell have you been realizing my lifelong dream of taking us from plasma to fully polaric warp conduits And I was yay close until you two geniuses sucked the power out of my backup cells. Well, this is important. Saru has given us eminent allocation clearances. For what? We're using long-range sensors to hack into a a crashed ship. You're you're not allowed to have food in here. This isn't food. It's candy. It's practically an accessory. Welcome back to Strange New Takes. Almost said welcome back to Strange New Worlds. Again, I think I did that last week or something like that. And... uh, (laughs) Getting a little ahead of myself. Haven't got cast yet. Psych. Haven't even auditioned. Yeah, it's just a podcast, you guys. It's not an actual TV show. <laughs> Gone all of you into China. <laughs> well, uh, let's talk to the. Uh, let's talk about the expansion to the world of Trek and Terraformer Part Two. We got uh, essentially a backdoor pilot we've and, and i had a little bit of a strange new take on that but uh, are there other aspects of of this backdoor pilot that you want to comment on all right so one question i have for all of you um so i like i bought the emotion in this two-part episode basically 100 percent. i thought you know you it really adds a lot of depth to mirror giorgio and you know i feel like i get her now and i can sympathize with her Although I did feel um, like I I wish they would have left more breadcrumbs, maybe going back three or four more episodes or something about her being conflicted and maybe actually being a little bit good. Um, It seems like they they basically just did it all in this two part episode that I so I felt it was a little, you know, a little, little bit rushed, maybe. I think the breadcrumbs, though, were the little um things they would lay out about her love for Michael. You know, like when, you know, when Michael first beamed back onto the ship, you just, the way she's kind of hanging back. And, and when she went with Michael on the um, mission to uh, go rescue book and, you know, so I felt like those were kind of the breadcrumbs that they, that's true. That's true. Well, um, it's, it's for me, it's in context, right? Like in the mirror universe, 
everything that Giorgio has done is weak. But I think in the Prime Universe, Giorgio making the same choices that she has made might seem to us to be kind of extreme choices in the Mirror Universe or in the Prime Universe. But those same choices in the Mirror Universe would be seen as weak. You know what I'm saying? Like, right, right. It's like on her, a whole different scale. It's kind of hard to contextualize. Yeah. Like her not killing Saru and taking charge of the ship is technically progress, right? Um, her decision in um, season two, some of the choices that she made in section 31 were kind of good, quote unquote, good choices. Um, so, so we can, there, there's been some of that softening, but just because their character and reference to the prime universe is so evil, we've just not seen that as evolution because as much as now when the background is extremely evil people, we see more of it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but when in Rome, right? Like going back to her potentially being able to take over the ship, right? She would need a couple of others who think like her. That wouldn't be that easy. Um, I actually agree with you, um, Bill, in the sense that did any of you ever consider Giorgio dying in the mirror universe? Because that's how I thought they ended it, right? Like you're laying there in the previous, in the mirror universe, the Guardian forever says. Uh, you know, breathing your last. Um, I, I didn't think of that. I thought that I thought there was a lot more potential in them explicitly shaping what happens to the mirror universe. I, I didn't quite connect it to an exit point for her, so she can have, you know, um, time and space in in section thirty one. But I, I did feel that um, they we didn't quite know what was going to happen. I mean, we're not supposed to know what's going to happen, but I didn't quite predict her dying and her killing Burnham. And so it, it, it did feel like they closed that shut very quickly. And that's it. Yeah. Maybe yeah. we'll have a future Saru version of that episode where he's, you know, reshaping that universe. But I can't see anything else there now. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm a lot more excited to watch the Section 31 show now as... Emily said, and I think I think this is pretty clearly a backdoor pilot. Although I guess they're not still not totally committed to making the show. Um, but I, I'm I'm more into because my my beef. Pre, so I think the premise of a Section Thirty One show is cool. There's like intrigue and mysteries and dark, smoky rooms and you know sneaking around. And my main beef was just that Gior I wasn't interested in Giorgio. But now I am. So you know I'm I'm interested for. For that show to come out apparently Giorgio in multiple interviews has said that well Michelle Yeoh in multiple interviews has said that Giorgio is not going away and she will never go away I'm paraphrasing there but she will be back again and again so outside of her saying specifically that she is definitely going to have a role in Star Trek going forward um, she's pretty much maintained that there is a strong path um, forward um, for all of you in terms of where she goes back to not you mentioned that and the guardian forever says it's at a point in time when the universes are very much aligned right where does that take us is that is that a place in time where she is still in her teens? i mean you can't do the teens thing right she's too old to act as a teen but um i, I don't know um, I'm, I'm thinking more in terms of, yeah, obviously it has to be close to her age, but I, I didn't think so much in which, which 
um, era, but more around what kind of time in her life would she go back? So there was some speculation on the Reddit discussion thread that maybe she's going to go back to being the one who creates Section 31. And I don't think that that's going to happen because if that had happened we in season two of Discovery, all of the Section 31 people would have been like, yo, <laughs> you're, you're our creator. It's George Founder. Washington. <laughs> yeah. Right? Um, and, and so I don't think that there's enough, like there's retconning I think that you can do to that, but I don't think that it can be done quite to that level. So I think she's going to come out at the time that Discovery left the Prime Universe or a little bit after. I think it would make me a little bit happier to, to go back to the 24th century and explore TNG, DS9, Voyager era stuff. Um, like what's happening with the rest of the Federation and the D Dominion War. I think Dominion War would be an excellent place, right? Like wartime espionage <laughs> provides a nice kind of way to... Um, to explore Star Trek, uh, you can maybe throw Giorgio back on Tarek Nor and, you know, having some fun meeting Deep Space Nine characters. Maybe her sidekick can be an older Julian Bashir if the show goes on long enough. I don't know. Um, so I think there's some there's some good possibilities. So it, it'll be interesting. I wanted to, to, to keep moving on the expansion of World of Trek. I uh, have to throw one thing out there. I'm so sorry. Section 31 is referenced in Enterprise. There you go. So it's not, so this isn't the creation of it because there are people that approach Malcolm about being a part of, I don't know if they name it section 31, but it's, it's section 31. I'm I, when I was watching it recently, I was like, Oh yeah, here it is. You know? So anyway, I just wanted to throw that out there. Maybe, maybe Empress Giorgio is the one who goes back to enterprise times, ends up in the mirror universe at the enterprise time and makes Hoshi Sato kill mirror archer to take over as empress it's just all a loop every you know anyway <laughs> um so hey uh, we we found out that the beginnings of species starting to band together to oppose the terran empire it began in the 23rd century uh this would eventually become the klingon cardassian alliance that destroyed the terran empire in the 24th century we saw that in the deep space nine mirror universe episodes we also had a mention of polaric energy. Jet Reno explains her absence as that she's been replacing all the energy conduits on Discovery with polaric energy conduits. It's in the notes, but if some of you haven't read it yet, do you, did any of you catch where that thought that's a reference to in Star Trek? Yeah, the planet blowing up in, in, in Voyager where um, you have... It's, it's a time loop, right? Um time causality root kind of thing where um, there's polaric energy on this planet used everywhere going through people's homes that that, that kind of a thing and people protesting it's uh, it's dangerous nature and somebody slips in from Voyager they're looking at the explosion after right mm -hmm. and they end up causing it or something like that yeah it's the one that's it's a first season episode right it's like the Voyager. third episode yeah. of Voyager yeah, time okay. and again and it is Janeway and Paris end up going through a subspace fracture to the past while they're reviewing a planet that has a, had a genocidal event occur, which killed everybody there, which was caused by a polaric energy expl explosion of some sort. 
initially they believe that it's these rebels that are trying to it's like the nuclear protesters essentially who are breaking into a power plant they think that they're the ones their action the protesters actions cause the explosion but then when they get to the site of the explosion in the past Janeway and Paris find out that it's actually Voyager in the future trying to get them back that causes a subspace rift that then fractures a polaric energy conduit causing the planet to explode so they prevent that effort of Voyager in the future by shooting at the subspace rift. So the subspace rift closes, but because it closes, it means that Jane, that the explosion never happened, which meant that Janeway and Paris were never on the ground expl- exploring why the explosion even occurred. And so the time loop is broken. So I think the only connect is Cass. She first senses millions of people dying and then she doesn't. Precisely. Yep. So Good anyway, call. yeah, it is. Uh, it that episode of Voyager is hilarious because the the people in the uh, on that planet wear all these funny multicolored outfits. And then there's one thing that always stuck with me is that when Janeway and Paris are asked like, "Where are you from?" They're like, "We're from the Caldo province." <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, it's pretty funny. Uh, the Terrans apparently remove their prisoners' eyeshadow. That is a thing that they take the time to do. So that's they... how you make someone look haggard because that's when I don't wear makeup, people ask me if I'm sick. So, you know, that's. And this is me shaking my head in disapproval at all those people. <laughs> um, that's what happens when you have blonde eyelashes. <laughs> Mirror universe people. There you go. Uh, well, anyway, trivia, little bits of trivia. This is the first direct reference to Denobulans outside of Star Trek Enterprise. So. Uh, Flux wasn't a rift in the time-space continuum that occurred. <laughs> Their species does exist. We saw the Tantalus field. Do any of you know what a Tantalus field is? No. Okay, it is an obscure prop from the first Mirror Universe episode in the original series. Kirk discovers the technology from some like scientist or something like that. Bill remembers. Yeah. It's, it's basically just like a little TV that he has, right? Where he can see anything, right? Uh. I, I think he can like press a button and the person <laughs> yes, like dies or I something. Like that. Oh, yeah. And, and then the person, yeah, he can just like delete them from existence. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's, but it's basically a TV. Right. Well, just uh, a little TV. Right. Giorgio has that. Uh, that's how she's able to observe Burnham in the agonizer. And like you get a close up of Burnham's face as Burnham without eyeshadow is sleeping. And that's how she's able to do it because her TV allows her to look at that. So anyway. Uh, yeah, she was uh, she was she was talking to Giorgio a lot for like a good five minutes. And it was like, well, Giorgio was talking to, to Burnham. And it was I was like, is this a personal log that's going to be leaked? Or is this like some diary that's found later? But uh, and then she's with uh, Burnham. So was that just her talking to herself in her head? What do you think? That, I, I thought that was her talking to Burnham, and basically like literally prop like dialogue, not monologue. That's what I took away from it. Anyways, yeah. Well, let's talk about memorable moments. Things y'all remember that happened in this episode. Other things that stick out to you? Uh. Sonequa Martin-Green's acting ability. The the way that her eyes changed from when she was being, you know, murderous, angry uh, Michael to, um, well, now we know uh, 
falsely uh, apologetic and and grovelly, I guess, uh, Burnham. But her, I mean, just the subtle difference in how she held her face, and I don't know. I just thought, man, she's she's pretty skilled. <laughs> so, and clearly, uh, Mirror Burnham and Mirror Lorca are much better actors than Mirror Giorgio because they're able to conceal their true identities and uh, motivations and Mira Giorgio is just like what you see is what you get <laughs> so I will I, the, the moment that the, the door explodes for the Guardian of Forever and comes together as the portal that was pretty like it, it just like was that whole set piece was incredible and it just stuck out in my head thinking back to it yeah, I loved it. And I love the audio. Um, yeah. The and I, audio. I actually, I think more generally, actually, Discovery has done a really cool job of kind of integrating the 1960s stuff. So they had the actual audio, mm-hmm. right? That was like, it was, you know, distorted and I think mixed with his actual voice, but it was the actual audio from the 1960s. And I thought that was so cool. And I think they've done a good job with that in general. Um, Provided by... with the where they go to Talos 4 or whatever, and they have that intro where it's literally like the, yeah. you know, last time on Star Trek from the cage. I thought that was just really well done. This was, the. I just want to give credit to the voice from Bart LaRue, who's actually provided a bunch of voices of aliens in, in the original series and was seen as the Roman announcer in Bread and Circuses and the Ecosian newscaster uh, in Patterns of Force aka the nazi episode so uh he, he it was his voice that we heard saying i am the guardian of forever anyway <laughs> i am um, i found uh it exciting to see kelpians in combat action in that three minute scene when he picks one of the one of the officers up and slams them against the ceiling right with, yeah. with one hand yeah. <laughs> yeah i thought that was pretty pretty cool I'm surprised nobody has mentioned Giorgio quoting Les Mis so far. Because that oh, happened. Oh, I've mentioned that. Yeah, well, I totally, the second I saw it, I sent it in a message to our, our Slack group. Because I was like, um, when she said the darkest night will end, I said she is not going to say and the sun will rise. And she totally said and the sun will rise. And I was like, Giorgio just quoted Les Mis in Discovery. <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> It's Theater like people, now man. we're gonna have a Les Mis and Discovery crossover, just like we were gonna have a Star Trek and Anne of Green Gables crossover. So you know, all of my <laughs> fandoms are merging into one. There you go. There you go. Uh, that's what the Section Thirty One episode is gonna be. Her being Jovere. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but uh, let's talk about character development. First of all, we got the Guardian of Forever. We speculated last week that it was the Guardian of Forever because of the Star Dispatch newspaper. Hey, look. Guess what? Carl is actually the Guardian. And uh, how did, have we developed the character of the Guardian of Forever after, what is it, like 60 years, 70 years? So do you know the difference is, um, so you talked about wondering where she, where Giorgio is going to come out. The Guardian already predetermined where she's going to come out. Now, we, may, we don't know, but... Um, in the original series episode, and I think also in Yesteryear in the animated series, you had to wait 
till the appropriate moment to walk through the Guardian because it was kind of flashing oh, right. through different periods of time. And the Guardian was different in this episode because it was you couldn't see what anything you know it was just kind of a blurred whatever but you couldn't see any distinct image and he said take your time you can go through whenever you're ready like mm-hmm. say your goodbyes you can go through when you're ready it was not that way in the original series they had to be paying attention and go through at the precise moment that um the time period they were looking for showed up on the you know in the through up through the guardian or whatever almost like the dng iconian portals yeah where you have yeah. to wait that, that was uh-huh. That was more placed in time, I guess. I wonder if, if Discovery will tackle the Iconians. I feel like that's another piece of old school Trek lore mm-hmm. that I feel like hasn't received much treatment since TNG tackled it. Um, yeah, the, the other thing is the, the Guardian is on an unnamed planet in previous episodes and has moved because of the temporal war when people tried to use it to to affect the outcome of that conflict and so the the guardian changed where they were which is why it took both previous federation databases future federation databases from the 32nd century and the sphere data to like make sense of different data points and then triangulate where the guardian had ended up in the 32nd century and i guess that was the bit about the computer saying hey this is something that can help you all makes sense now Mm-hmm. Yeah. Giorgio. Now, we've talked at length already about Giorgio's um, development and softening that she's not Hitler anymore. And there are other things uh, more on that topic that you'll want to talk about in terms of how Giorgio has become different. Well, so um, Bill mentioned like talking about wishing there had been some more breadcrumbs kind of along the way uh, to show that that her character was evolving in this way or that she was making these changes. I, this, these last two episodes revealed to me that Giorgio actually wasn't capable of fully, fully living into the changes that she was experiencing and the way that she was involved evolving until she was back in the mirror universe. And suddenly it was exposed to her how much she did not have a taste for that life anymore. And if she hadn't gone, I don't think she could have, fully lived into her evolution as a character had she not gone back to the mirror universe. So I think that was absolutely essential for the change to have solidified in her. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, I, I would also just add that regarding her and Michael and their relationship, it's, it's pretty interesting. And, and I think subtle or interesting the way they deal with it. Um, you know, so she's gotten to know prime Michael and they have a, I think a good strong relationship. And then, you know, because of their affection and some regrets, she wants to go back and save Mirror Michael, right? And she can't. Um, and at some point, I think she realizes, and, and at least we we realize at the audience that actually, she she just she just wants Mirror Michael to be like Prime Michael. Like Prime mm. Michael is the one she actually has the connection with, right? And she's just trying to force like her Michael to to be more like that. Well, she feels so it, she changed. She feels she herself has changed, so maybe she can help Michael change. Um, but I guess that doesn't work out, right? Like she's like, "Hey, I saw that I could be a better person. He can be too." Yeah, so, yeah. I my point is just that, like, you might think that like the mirror Michael is like her Michael, mm. right? 
But actually, I think this challenges that. And actually, maybe the maybe the real close relationship is actually with Prime Michael, and that her. I mean, that's that was the message of the episode, right? I mean, that her Michael was kind of a lost cause all along mm-hmm. because of her environment. It's kind of almost similar to a question that Mad Men in that show asks, which is, can you fundamentally change the character of a person or do they keep reverting back to their who they always have been? And it's kind of an interesting thing to reflect on that way as well, which brings us, I think, to um, Burnham. We should just before moving on to Arjo mention that there was some, you know, people at the end in those toasts uh, talking about who she was, redefined the word badass, nothing intimidated her. We know she had no tact, uh, to which I think Burnham says she was a pain in the ass. And so there's there's a bunch of like tributes to the character, which mm-hmm. might reveal some of the writer's notes about what that character was supposed to be like. But then <laughs> but but we saw we saw a bunch of Burnham in this episode. And uh Mirror Burnham turned out I thought was a fairly single-dimensional character, you know, just very similar motivations throughout, like didn't really change or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, very unsentimental, uh, knows how to throw Mirror Universe badges so that they end up at exactly the same place on the table. Uh, <laughs> useful skill, you know, you're bored. It's just like, blink, blink, blink. Maybe that's how you entertain yourself. Was it last week's episode or this episode where Giorgio told Michael that um, her, both her Michael and Prime Michael uh, were intent on bending others to their will? And I thought that was an interesting... I just can't remember which episode that last was last week. Yeah, I just didn't get to talk about it. But that I found that to be a really eye-opening, like, oh, <laughs> I don't know if you should feel so proud about that, Michael. <laughs> so... There's there's something that occurs to me about Michael Burnham and this kind of the, the reason this was prompted was because of Giorgio telling Michael you should be in charge, basically. I wonder if I'm too harsh on Michael Burnham having this like endless resume of things that Michael Burnham has saved. Cause I feel like if we look at Picard's resume, it has similar things. So I'm just wondering, like, when we all when not we all, some of us are quite upset about Burnham, the savior of the galaxy. Is that a little unfair? Well, yeah, it's it's a really interesting point to bring it up because I think this was a great example, these two episodes, of um, uh, an emotionally resonant story that was not about saving the whole galaxy. Right. I mean, this for me, this these two episodes were much more engaging than like control and, and the, all that stuff and whatever. Um, and so just, you know, a cautionary note to the writers, you know, mm-hmm. um, we like the character stuff. You know, sometimes it's OK for it to be about character development. And... I think it's better. I mean, yeah. it's much better to yeah. have a story about just one character that you care about. Right. Or mm-hmm. that's a, a relationship with other characters so much better than just like, oh, and, and this season it's going to be the whole multiverse. And like, that's um, why Star Trek is so good as a series and as a TV show and better, better than as a TV show than a movie. Because you're able to do so much more with the characters in television than you are with them in movies, I think. Right, right. But yeah, I mean, Notch, it's a fair point. I mean, Picard saved all kinds of stuff, and so did Kirk and whatever. But it does seem that it's a little bit more of a, a, a trope these days, or like they just feel like they have to do it every season. I don't know. 
Okay. So just okay. To, just to go back and compare, right? Um, again, we're comparing uh, Burnham with Picard. Mm-hmm. There's one character that I really like the development on, and it wasn't really a prime character, but the way um, Roe, right, Ensign Roe was developed, I, I really like that, and it didn't end well in in in, in our Federation terms with the definition, but. I don't know. Maybe they could take a page out of that book and 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 shape somebody like Burnham that way, where you are really vested in how that person turns out. You know, there's a dark side. You know, there's difficulties. Um, I I just I just you know I was trying to see who we can compare her with. You did you did Picard. I was I don't want to compare her with Roe, but I think that's a good way to develop a character the way you did Ensign. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, um, I think, and, and just to kind of give this a cap, I, I have started to ask myself why perhaps I, I have this different attitude with Michael and I haven't reached a conclusion quite yet. I, um, and I have decided to let it go, personally, <laughs> and, and just be like, it's okay. This is freaking Star Trek. There can be a character who is doing everything for everybody. And if that's Michael Burnham, that's the way it is. And it's all right. So uh, I have got over it. Anyway, let's move on to book. Who reads books? <laughs> book wow. reads manuals. Like, he read the field <laughs> manual. He read the technical manual. Look at that. Guy's becoming a bona fide Starfleet officer. Except then he tells Vance, hey, it's good to have someone outside Starfleet to take a hard <laughs> left anytime it's needed. Uh, uh, but <laughs> anyway. How does Vance respond to that? He's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> what do you yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah. I, f- I feel like he was like, yeah, sure, buddy. <laughs> um, but, yeah. I. But it's kind of nice to see Book like as one of the gang, right? As opposed to like the guy staring out at the tail end of the ship. Well, it's interesting because he like really knows how to quote unquote follow the rules or what all the rules are, but he's still bending in them. Uh, anyway, so it's kind of like he's learning the parameters and then he kind of finds ways to work well, he found you know, a very safe way to use emerald chain technology. Yeah, yeah. Um, that Starfleet hasn't figured out. Is this going to be Chekhov's emerald chain technology? Like, <laughs> oh yeah, we figured out how to not like let them take over our ship. Don't worry, I've been using it for years. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the music changes suddenly in the part that scene. Okay, anyway, it doesn't actually change that, but uh. Okay, well, uh, Saru has uh, a starring role in both plots, different versions of Saru, of course, but we see Mirror Saru go through Vaharai, Body Slam, Culber, and what do y'all think of Doc Jones, Saru, and the development of the character in this episode? Yeah, I really, as we've discussed, I really hope there is, if there is a future for the Jojo Mirror universe that shows up somewhere in some kind of track, I hope it is. It has Saru at the, the front end of that and doing the right thing. Slamming more bad people. I Yeah, Saru's super strength, making more of an appearance. Yeah, Giorgio's, you know, goal is to is her relationship with Michael, but actually her relationship with Saru, Emily, as you suggested earlier, is actually the one that grows, you know, in the Mirror Universe, which I, I thought it was kind of touching. Definitely. 
Yeah, I, 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 again, I think we've talked about how we don't want Saru to fall apart in his captaining, and I don't want Saru to be revealed as making captaining mistakes. I think, I mean, it's kind of a little utopian for a first-time captain to be perfect the whole way through, but I really hope we keep captain as uh, Saru as like a really like excellent captain the whole way through the show. That's I really want that for him. So, but uh, let's move on to talk about Vance. We've talked. I I feel like actually we've talked about Vance already quite yeah. a bit. Uh, so we don't need to rehash that territory. I criticized Mary Wiseman last week for her portrayal of Killy as being a little awkward and too Tilly-like. And I think in this episode, she smacked my opinion from my mouth and told me where to stick it. Because we finally got why Killy is what Killy... Why Killy has a reputation. Because Killy was saying all these murderous, awful things in this like sweet voice the whole way through. And I thought, okay, now that's... That's what I thought I was gonna get with Killy uh, in the in in the first episode. Yeah. Well, the other thing I loved when what was she, when she was torturing Michael. Sorry, different dog now. Um, <laughs> my parents just got here, but um, when she was torturing Michael and Michael didn't give her what she wanted and she just kind of went, you know, stuck out her lower lip. I thought that was pretty hilarious. <laughs> <But>. <laughs> Let's uh, let's uh, also give a quick shout out to Mirror Ariam and Mirror Nielsen. Nielsen shows up and has dark hair, as opposed to regular Nielsen who is blonde. And Ariam is played by Hannah Cheeseman, who played Ariam in season two of Discovery, and gets a line in this episode and a close up as well in this. So good for them. Uh, Ellen Landry and Rekha Sharma show up again. Hey, if you follow Rekha Sharma on Instagram or Twitter, she did like a little uh, selfie. Uh, camera pan of her mirror universe uniform and she actually showed off the dagger and some of the prop details it's pretty cool so go mm. go check that out um that, i thought that was pretty neat so we got we got has them. she been killed oh sorry i was gonna say, ask if she's been killed as many times as harry kim <laughs> <laughs> yeah probably at this point <laughs> and we got we got some nice stamets reno action in this episode always my favorite part about star trek discovery i feel like and uh how'd y'all find that any, any interesting notes from there they just give me life i love them the two of them and their banter it's good stuff yeah apparently stamets apologizing would make his dna unravel so there's that <laughs> and and we got jet reno's ex- absence uh explained as well she's been yeah. off doing the conduit so every now and then she's going to be crawling in the jeffrey stoops for weeks so fair <laughs> enough um okay well i think that's that's all we've got any other final notes about the episode that y'all want to talk about that we've missed so far all right well then let's let's let me open the spreadsheet so y'all can stick your neck out and give us some strange new ratings on terraforma part two mm. i'll go first if y'all don't mind I will give this a 6.5. I had expected a lot from the previous episode and I I never really rationalized it. I I thought they would go into much more detail around how how Giorgio fixes the Mirror Universe. Um, I do get that it was a much more personal plot, Um, but it sort of closed that chapter. It closed... George's chapter in Discovery, I think. 
which maybe made me a little sad. So a lot of things ending for me there. Um, so yeah, 6.5 um, Kelpians out of... <laughs> Mirror Kelpians. Mirror yeah. Kelpians. So I can go next. I'll do... Um, I like this a lot. My only beefs were the the breadcrumb thing, but I was convinced otherwise somewhat by Emily. And I thought the toasts at the end were a little bit over the top, but otherwise I thought it was great. I'll give it eight Tom badges from my slain enemies. Out of <laughs> nice. <laughs> I'm going to give it a four out of five. Um, because I ended up liking Giorgio at the end of it. And that's what it needed. It did what it needed to do. And what I think, at least not just for me, but I think what they were wanting to achieve in order for um, for Giorgio to have some redeeming quality. So got to give him an eight or a four out of five, not an eight. I'm sorry, <laughs> I'm doing a five point scale, four out of five. But I'm going to drop it to a 2.5 if it turns out these were breadcrumbs for the Federation being bad with Vance <laughs> being a little suspicious. So uh, I'm going to I'm going to jump in with an eight. So I, I enjoyed this episode quite a bit. It's a bit, two point jump from last week for me. But uh, I was looking also back through my ratings of previous Discovery episodes. And this is the, essentially tied for third place in the season as far as I'm concerned after die trying uh, and uh, scavengers. I think it was it was uh, from, from the one where they end up on the sea locusts. Anyway, so I, th- I thought I thought this was a fun episode. Well, with that, uh, thank you, Bill. Thank you, Emily. Thank you, Rudy, for being here with me today. I do appreciate it. Thank you, Notch. Thanks, Notch. Thanks, I spoke Notch. to Dinah and Max yesterday. They are excited to come back once uh, we're done talking about Discovery. They haven't quite caught up to where we are at this moment, so they're, they, they obviously can't join us to talk about episodes that they haven't watched, although that might be kind of fun. An interesting mm. guess the plot <laughs> with Max and Dinah. But anyway, hopefully we, we will wouldn't have... be the first podcast to do that right. um, where people haven't watched the episodes. <laughs> there you go. So 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 I, I do think at some point they will return. We will have uh, Adam back as well. I hope he's doing fun stuff today at home. And uh, thank you, listener, for joining us. We do appreciate everything that you do for us online. Feel free to send us a message or two about things that you have feelings about when you watch an episode of Star Trek. Thanks, Ishnu Guha, for our theme music. Uh, do appreciate his work. He has a podcast called Geek Fruit that you can listen to. And I want to also, also give a special thanks for the Temporal Cold War. If it wasn't for the Temporal Cold War, the Guardian of Forever wouldn't have moved. Maybe Discovery wouldn't be well-placed to find the Guardian of Forever, and then we wouldn't have had this fun episode. So uh, thank you for the Temporal Cold War and all the atrocities it left us, our universe, with. So, okay. We will return next week. Goodbye, everybody. Bye. Bye.